Good morning. Welcome to Life Spring. I love my life. Um, so last week we began a series. Do you remember the, what the series is called? <laughs> and last weekend was absolutely beautiful as we looked at accessing the Father. Honestly, truly honestly, one of the most amazing services I've ever been to. Uh, with the various stations that we had throughout the, uh, throughout the sanctuary. And it was really an amazing time of worship led by the worship team. Um, this is the painting that was in the back. If you didn't get a chance to see it, where each of you or some of you, like you'd take a square and you'd paint in that square as we were worshiping the Lord. And this is kind of what uh, came out of that. Isn't that cool? Look at that. That's beautiful. And so, um, truly an amazing experience. I also wanted to just say thank you again to the volunteers who put that together. I mean, tons of volunteers were here putting that together. We have an amazing team here at the church. In fact, if we could just thank them together for what they did. Amen. So this uh, last week, accessing the Father. This week, accessing the Son. We worship the triune Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal. And today it's all about the Son. Now, if you look at the amount of messages that I've done on the Son, I do quite a few, right? <laughs> I, I do uh, quite a few on Jesus. In fact, I was just listening this uh, past week, a message that I did last week or last year that I entitled Jesus Changes Everything, where I preached on Jesus Changes Everything. And if there's a rap that I get as a preacher, it's that I am the guy who talks about Jesus. Have you noticed that? I talk a lot about Jesus. It is true. You've heard me say things like this over and over again at the church that uh, we are a one-trick pony, right? And what's the other line that I use often? We have all of, our, all of our eggs in one basket, and his name is Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's, the re- it's my response to the fact that church can get really complicated. It can. We, we can end up doing so much, so many different things that sound good, even look good, but actually have nothing to do with Jesus. It's true. You can end up looking like a really good nonprofit or a, a social club compared to what we really are, which is a place of worship where Jesus is glorified, magnified, and exalted. And so for us as a church, we're going to try to keep our attention laser focused on Him. An amazing thing happened to me this past week. Absolutely incredible opportunity came my way. I mentioned last week that in the 10 years of me working at a church, my answer in all the staff meetings or when I'm meeting with other pastors has always been Jesus. And those around me, they're pretty nice about it, but you can tell that they are ready for me to branch out from my Jesus answer. You're right. You know, like, yeah, we get that, Dan. We know the answer is Jesus, but if we could just come up with a little more practical solution. But if you know me, I'm also a very stubborn guy, and so I haven't deviated from that answer very much. So the people around me know that I'm the Jesus guy. Well, this past week, the National Foursquare Executive Board meetings were held uh, in Tacoma. So these meetings, you've got the president of Foursquare, the vice president, the chief operating officer, the chief financial officer. you got the top lawyers. You have the president of Foursquare Missions International, just on and on and on. This is that group of people. And guess who they called to give a message on Jesus to open up their meetings? I'm not joking. Like, no joke. They called me. The only instruction they gave me was to go Francis Chan on them and talk about Jesus. Remind them what it was all about. 
And, and, and it's, believe me, I wasn't looking for that opportunity. I don't have some inner yearning to talk to the heads of Foursquare. I wasn't campaigning for them to pick me. I, I'm not wired that way. But when they asked me, I said yes right away because I knew it was a huge honor, opportunity, and privilege to be able to address them. And so, again, this past Wednesday morning, I got to pour my little heart out about Jesus to the heads of our denomination. And I'd say it was awesome. <laughs> it really was. And it went well. But I've got to be honest, more than anything, it was just a validation from the Lord speaking to my heart that I'm on the right track. That exalting the name of Jesus in my life, you know what? It's a good way to go. So this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. Exalting Jesus with our life. Before we go any further, would you bow your head and pray? Lord Jesus, it is all about you. We thank you, Father God, that you sent your son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We thank you, Jesus for leaving and leaving us your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you are truly leading us and guiding us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's so many examples in the New Testament where Jesus comes in and radically changes a person's life. You, you have his earthly ministry, but after he died and, and, and raised again, there's several stories after that. At the beginning of the book of Acts, remember the Holy Spirit is poured out and Peter, he gives that message. How many people received and accepted Jesus, their Lord and Savior, after that first message. Do you remember? 3,000. Jesus radically changed the lives of 3,000 people. Do you remember um, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? And Philip encounters this Ethiopian eunuch, and he ends up telling him the good news of Jesus, right? And then they find some water by there, and they baptize the eunuch. His life has changed forever. But one of my favorite stories is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Right? And you remember the conversion of the Apostle Paul? Who, who was Paul before he was Paul? What was his name? Saul. Right. He's Saul. And he's actually going around persecuting the church. He's on his way to Damascus. And the Lord stops him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a, name, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. 
Radical, right? Radical. And the Bible, just right after that, it tells us that Paul began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, telling everyone that Jesus is the Son of God. It's this amazing and radical conversion. Paul's conversion, by the way, is so important to what we believe. It's so important to the Christian faith. Out of the 27 books written in the New Testament, you know how many he wrote? 13. 13, maybe 14. 13 of those books. The life of Paul is incredibly important to the faith. But the reason he's even in the Bible, other than just the guy that, by the way, observed Stephen's death, the stoning of Stephen, is because Jesus Christ came into his life, touched Paul's life, and changed everything. Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about the radical difference that Jesus made on his life. He explains who he was before Christ, all that he was, all that he had. But he explains how that compares to who he is now that he's encountered Christ. Listen to this. This is Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. That's us. And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, Paul says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, listen to this. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, say everything, everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means, say any means, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Did you catch that? I think he's made his point. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He goes on to say that he considers everything outside of Christ as rubbish, as garbage. You see, Jesus changed everything. So here you have the conversion experience of Paul, and you see this radical transformation that takes place in his life because of Jesus. If you're a Christian here this morning, a great question to ask of your own conversion experience is this. Did Jesus change everything in your life like he did Paul's? It's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask because I've noticed some people ask Jesus to come into their lives, but there really isn't any change that follows. As my brother Jeff puts so well in one of his songs, he says, We tack on Jesus and remain the same. We tack on Jesus and we remain the same. We add him to our dysfunctional life, but we just keep on living that life. Can you imagine if Paul would have done that? Right? I'm, I'm coming to persecute Christians, but oh wow, there's Jesus. And he's asking me, why am I persecuting the church? I'm blinded. The man named Ananias lands, lays hands on me. Something like scales fall off my eyes. Wow, that's really cool. Thank you, Jesus. But now I'm just going to keep on living my life. Now I'm just going to continue to persecute Christians. What? That doesn't even make sense. That is completely absurd. No, when he touches us, when he changes our life, he completely changes it. Period. 
Don't let this ruffle your feathers too much. In fact, this whole sermon might. But don't let it ruffle your feathers too much. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord 5, 10, 15 years ago, but nothing's really changed, you're thinking the same things, you're watching the same things, you're saying the same things, you're doing the same things, I would spend some serious time really looking at your relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to tell you whether you're saved or not. That's between you and God. All I'm saying is that you might not be living the life that God has called you to live. In fact, there's a good chance you're not living the life that God has called you to live. Because Jesus changes everything. What happened when Paul was saved? He began preaching the name of Jesus to everybody around him. In fact, everybody's kind of amazed, right? They say, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul, he increased all the more in strength, confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He is so radically changed by the Bible that it goes on to say the Jews plot to kill him. Paul goes from being one of the heroes of the Jewish faith to be one of the people that they hate the most, who they want to kill. And it happens almost overnight. Can you say that to be true of yourself? Can you say that to be true of you? When you became a Christian, did those around you say, what happened to you? What happened to you? You used to speak and you used to say all those sexual jokes about women and swear up a storm. But now when you speak, you speak with respect towards others and you build up instead of tear down. You used to be an angry and jealous person, but now there's humility and peace. You used to make a mess of everything in your life. Wherever you went, destruction followed your path. But now you are building a life that is leaving a trail of goodness and a trail of love. Is that true of you? Is that how others see you? I've been rereading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I love the way he puts it in chapter 29. This is what he says. He says, and now we begin to see what it is that the New Testament is always talking about. It talks about Christians being born again. It talks about them putting on Christ, about Christ being formed in us, about our coming to have the mind of Christ. He says, put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and try to carry it out as a man may read what Plato or Mark said and then try to carry it out. They mean something much more than that. They mean that a real person, Christ, here and now, in the very room where you are saying your prayers, is doing things to you. I love that. It is not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It is a living man, still as much a man as you, and still as much God as he was when he created the world, really coming and really interfering with the very self, killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self he has. At first, only for moments, then for longer periods. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing. Into a new little Christ. A being which in its own small way has the same kind of life as God. Which shares in his power, joy, knowledge, and eternity. I love that. He's saying you are changed by God. Jesus does something in you. It's God really coming, really interfering with your life. I love the way he puts that. Killing the old natural self, replacing it with the kind of self that he has. At first for moments, then for longer periods, finally turning you permanently into a different sort of thing which shares in God's power, joy, knowledge, and eternity. Is that what's happening to you? Honestly, soberly, take a hard look at that question. 
Because that's what happens when you become a disciple of Christ. That's what we can expect. You become a new creation. I'm not saying you don't sin anymore. I'm not saying you don't have questions or doubts. I'm not saying that you don't still struggle or make mistakes. But a Christian is one who's becoming more like Christ every day. By the power of the Holy Spirit within you, you're becoming more like Christ every day. Message, uh, paraphrase of 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is, pay attention. As Christians, nothing between us and God. Now our face is shining with the brightness of His face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. Can you say that to be true of your life? Is your life becoming gradually brighter and more beautiful as you walk with the Lord? Be honest. Where are you at? Where are you at? I think this whole issue brings up the fact that I've noticed in a gathering such as today, there's almost always four different groups of people. Four different groups of people. And by the way, I'm not here to tell you which group you're in. I just have found in a group like this, there's usually four different categories. I want to share them with you. Number one, first group. Many of us in this room, we have this full confidence, we have this assurance that Jesus is in our lives, right? And He's doing a good work. We're spirit-filled believers. We're becoming conformed to the image of Christ. Not the same today as we were three months ago, six months ago, a year ago. We aren't perfect, making lots of mistakes. But by the grace of God, we're always changing, always growing, right? And there's several of us in this room that are in that category. There's also a section uh, in this room. There's a section of us who, again, we're spirit-filled believers. And two, we are growing, in the Lord. But I would say because of the lies of the enemy and or because of the sin in our own lives, we're convinced that we're not becoming more like Jesus. We're convinced that the light is growing dimmer. In fact, some of us are convinced that we are the same or even worse off than before we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. So again, we're spirit-filled believers. We're actually growing in the spiritual realm. We are growing in the Lord, but we can't see it. We're blinded to it because of the lies of the enemy or because of our own simple ways. So we just do not believe we're growing in the Lord. Third group. Third group, kind of, we like the idea of being with Jesus due to the benefits, right? Pretty cool being with Jesus. The grace and the love. And we like the idea of going to heaven instead of hell. And so we point to a time, regardless of when it was, when we raised our hand or we said a prayer for salvation. But if we're honest, as much as there was a response on the outside, on the inside, there never truly was a response to the Lord. I, I could never call this out in you, but you know it. You know that on the inside, you never put your faith and trust in the saving work of Jesus. There wasn't true repentance. There wasn't true surrender. There was no yielding to the work of God and the Holy Spirit in your life. There was no change in your heart. And so this morning, you might even tell, tell someone that you're a Christian if someone asked you, but you have no idea what that means. Fourth group. There's a group in this room who is far from God. Even enemies of God who are guilty in their sin desperately need to accept the saving work of Jesus Christ in order to receive the joy-filled, abundant, eternal life that He is so willing to give us. So there's the four groups. And this morning, I'm, I'm not too concerned uh, about which group you've been a part of. Really not. And you know, God, He's not too concerned about which group you've been a part of. What I care about, and more importantly, what God cares about, is what group you're going to be a part of from this moment on. Because see, regardless of your spiritual condition as you came in through those doors, God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is available to every one of us today, right now. 
regardless of what you said or done right now, today, he wants you to give your life to him. He wants you to leave through those same doors this morning as a new creation who has truly been born again, who has been baptized by the Holy Spirit, who has the abundant life that only Jesus can give. He wants to give you true, abundant life. Regardless of how you came in today, today He wants to give you life. He wants to give you life. I, I want to read these scriptures to you. John three sixteen seventeen. 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Ephesians 2, and you were dead, say dead, (laughs) you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, all of us, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he did what? He made us alive together with Christ. First John 5, and this is the testimony that God gave us what? Eternal life. And this life is not in his son, or this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has what? Has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The Father God wants to give us life through His Son. So this morning, have you received eternal life in Jesus? Do you know if you have or not? Do you? Can you say, like the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory? Is Jesus your life? You know, I encounter people almost on a weekly basis who are they just come to me and they're feeling stagnant in their relationship with Jesus. They try to open the Bible, but they read it and it doesn't make sense. Or they try to pray, but it feels like nobody's listening. They go to church and they're really not that into it. And often, I discern that they're just taking the wrong approach toward their relationship with Jesus. They're trying to access the Son in all the ways. This is what I've observed. It's, it's as if Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus is some sort of experiment. It's the Jesus experiment, right? I'll try it, and I'll see how it goes, right? I'll see if I like it or not. I'll try a little Jesus, and I'll see if it does anything for me. I'll see if it saves my marriage. I'll see if it makes me not so depressed. I'll see if it gets me out of debt or gets me a better job. And if I don't like the results, if I don't get the results that I wanted, then I give up on Jesus, right? See it all the time. And so then we move on and try something else. I encounter this mentality all the time as a pastor. But having true life in Jesus isn't about grabbing a little bit of Jesus and trying him on for size and seeing if he fits and see if we like how he fits or not. It is far from that. Jesus and living for Jesus and having Jesus live in us is much more radical. Here's what Jesus tells us about having life in him. He's talking to his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You want life? 
You want life, you must deny yourself. You must die to yourself and allow Christ, Jesus, to be your everything. That you would be hidden in Christ. That you would be alive in Christ. Do you see how radical it is? Having life in Jesus is an all or nothing endeavor. All or nothing. You don't just try them on and see if you like it. No, you die. And now it's Christ who lives in you. You die to yourself and you allow Christ to live in you. But often, again, this is not how we view it. Some of our concepts of what it means to be a Christian are so messed up. They are demented. Well, you know, I was just living a good life, but you know, I knew there was always something kind of missing, right? I was incomplete and there was a little God-shaped hole in my heart that Jesus needed to fill. And then he filled it. And now my life is even better. I was here, but now I'm here, right? I was living this life, but I was kind of a little sad. But then Jesus came and now I'm here. That's not even close to what it means to be a Christian. No, you were here. You were dead. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were dead. You can't just be kind of dead or half dead. No, you were dead, but now you're alive. Me, Dan Birch, I was a sinner, a wretch, an enemy of God, unholy, unrighteous. But God, in his love for me, he sent his son to die a bloody, gruesome, painful death for my sins, my transgressions. Jesus willingly laid down his life for me. And as one who is unworthy, unrighteous, and undeserving on my own outside of Christ, I cling to the cross, allowing the blood of Jesus to wash me clean. His perfect sacrifice has saved me, rescued me, delivered me, and given me life. Jesus, and only Jesus, has given me life. You don't just add a little Jesus to make your life better. No, you were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus changes everything. So then the question again, are you a Christian? I'm not going to answer that one for you. But I do want to give you the opportunity this morning to truly examine your life and be honest about where you stand with the Lord. Are you truly His? Are you surrendered to him? Are you living in obedience to his will for you? Are you a Christian or do you just wear the T-shirt? You know, one of the best ways to examine your walk with Jesus is just to begin to evaluate the fruit in your life. The fruit or ask. This is dangerous. Ask others around you to tell you about any fruit they see in your life. The fruit of a godly character of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We bear fruit as we spend time with Jesus. That's just part of the gig. He is the vine. We are the what? We are the branches. Fruitfulness is a direct result of abiding with Christ. John 15, Jesus tells us that he chose us and appointed us that we should go and what? That we should go and bear fruit. Fruit that would last. It's part of the Christian gig. You bear fruit. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go into great detail today. But the Holy Spirit has a huge part to play in the transformed, fruit-producing, Jesus-centered life that we've been called to live. See, as Christians, we have the privilege of asking for and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And because of the baptism, we have the opportunity to be daily filled with the Spirit. And as we are filled daily with the Holy Spirit, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit develop in our life. And Jesus, who is formed in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden we see true Christ-like 
like character or fruit as the natural result of who we are as Christians. Just as natural as pears come from a pear tree or apples come from an apple tree, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us when we yield to the Holy Spirit and walk in obedience to Him. As Christians, we are distinguished by our fruit. They'll know we are Christians by our what? By our love. If we're abiding in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be evident in our lives. In the same way, the works of the flesh are going to be evident in a person who's not abiding in Christ. A life not surrendered to Jesus, you know what that looks like. You've probably lived it. It's egocentric. It's self-centered. And it will exhibit the works of the flesh. But a Christ-centered life will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus tells us in Matthew, kind of saying whether you're good or whether you're evil, it's going to be recognized by your fruit. That a healthy tree, healthy tree, what does it do? It bears healthy fruit, good fruit. But a diseased tree, what does it produce? Bad fruit. So who are you? Another good question. What kind of fruit is your life producing? Is it healthy or is it diseased? Be honest. I'm not going to tell you what, what I think. I just want you to be honest. Good, bad, healthy, diseased. I got some good news for you. Maybe you came in and as you're thinking about it, everything around you is rotten. Everything around you is diseased and unhealthy. Well, guess what? Jesus loves you. And Jesus can heal you. He can save you. And you can leave this morning producing good fruit. Did you know that? It's not a pipe dream. It's a reality of every one of us in this morning that we can take hold of today. Some of you came in. You're you're carrying secrets that are so dark and so intense that you dare not share them with anyone around you. In this room, I can almost guarantee you that there are secrets that some of you are holding that you are so afraid to tell anybody. Well, today, God wants you to bring those secrets out into the light, to confess your sins one to another, to pray for one another so that you may be healed and that you could begin to produce good fruit. Some of you, you're living for the things of this world, things without eternal value, things that will ultimately rust, corrode, and fade away. But today, by God's grace, you can begin to build your life on something that will last, something that will never fade away. You can build your life on the cornerstone, solid rock, Christ Jesus, and you can produce some healthy fruit. A radical change that can actually happen today. Right now, as I'm speaking, there is an opportunity for you to live truly for Jesus. To have Him be your everything. To have your life surrendered to His will. To be supernaturally filled with the Holy Spirit. And to allow the Spirit to lead you, to guide you, and to help you become more like Jesus. Where your life would be healthy, full, filled with joy, filled with peace, and full of love. And, and my prayer is that the Lord would actually be speaking to some of you right now. That He'd be reminding you that He really wants you. He desires you. He doesn't want just some of you. He wants all of you. I can't think of a better place than this church, than LifeSpring, for you to learn how to surrender to Jesus. To learn how to let go and let Him take control of the reins of your life. Because there is life transformation to be had in the mighty name of Jesus. But it's time to embrace the radical change that Jesus wants to do in your life. All to the glory of God. Many of you, I I know right now, even as I'm speaking, I pray that by His mighty name that He would touch you even now. That He would change you by His Spirit even now. That you would not be the same. That you could say today, Jesus came into my life and He changed everything. 
And if you're not a Christian this morning and you want Jesus in your life and you want him to change everything, would you let me know? Would you raise your hand in front of everybody here so I can pray for you so that you could receive him as your Lord and Savior? Anyone want to make that change? Anyone frustrated with how their life's been going outside of Christ? Okay. So no one in this room? Okay. Anyone in this room kind of just been playing the game? But I mean, that sounds bad. I don't want to condemn you. But you know what I mean. He's been a part of your life, but he isn't really your life. But you, you just are like, man, I'm tired of playing that. And I want him to be my everything. Anyone in this room that I can pray for in that respect? You raise your hand. Amen. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. All right. So you're my hero. The rest of us, we just learned something from you. So, Lord, I just pray for my hero, this mighty woman of faith, that she would teach the rest of us what it means to be hungry and desperate for you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to put her before, um, before enemies. You're going to put her in dangerous situations even, Lord, where she's going to need a radical change by you, Jesus, in her life to be able to withstand what's going to go on, Lord, in her life. And I pray that when she is in those darkest places, Lord, when she is in those even dangerous places, that she would be so radically changed by Jesus that as she would stand there, all they could see and hear is Jesus. <laughs> I love that. Even the idea that as, as opposition comes against her, that as she speaks words, they would be the words of Jesus. That even as Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin speaking to men who hated them, that they said, wow, these men have been with Jesus. And I pray that right now, Lord over Aaliyah, Lord, that as she speaks and as she lives this life, that they would say, this woman, this woman has been with Jesus. Satan, you cannot destroy that. You're not going to take that away. That's hers to have for the rest of her life. We seal it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so I have a story to tell you. Um, His name is Sunil Sardar. I think I have a picture of him. There he is. So I had the privilege of hanging out with Sunil this last Friday. He and I had a meeting. And Sunil is from India, and he is doing some pretty crazy stuff over in India. Uh, When I was introduced to him for our meeting, I was introduced to him as the Martin Luther King Jr. of India. He's trying to break apart the caste system that is in India. If you know anything about the caste system in India, I don't have a long time to explain it, but you're born into the caste that you're a part of, right? Caste system, you know, different classes. And you can't jump um, from one class to the other because... um, in the Hindu religion, you have reincarnation. And so what caste you're born into depends on karma, right? Depends on how you lived your life or your lives before then. And that's what decides what caste you're going to be uh, born into. And, of course, Sunil, as a born-again Christian, he sees that there's just a lot wrong with that system. And it's not of God. And so, um, in fact, like just quickly, one story is that one of the one of the things that they do over there is the, one of the lower class. They will actually wash the feet of the Brahmin and the Brahmin are the top class. They'll wash the feet of the Brahmin and then they'll drink the water that they use to wash their feet to receive a blessing uh, for washing the feet of the Brahmin. So it's a pretty messed up system. But Sunil, he heard about this tribe and the tribal people. They're the lowest of the low. I mean, just the outcasts um, of India. And he heard about this um, tradition that they did where they sacrificed an animal and they began to sprinkle blood all around the village to protect the village. And Sunil, as being a Christian, says, wow, you know, it sounds like they're, you know, 
looking, you know, maybe open to the things of God. So he comes in and begins to tell them about Jesus. Well, sure enough, this tribe was really excited about Jesus. And so they they begin to convert to Christianity. And it becomes such big news that it actually gets into the um, newspaper. And that it it says, tribe converts to Christianity. Well, the government's not too happy about this. So the government comes in and they burn all the books. They burn some of the buildings and they arrest Sunil. So now Sunil is in prison because all these people were coming to know Jesus. But don't you know that Jesus changed everything in that village? Well, now he's in this prison with 39 other inmates in this one uh, big cell and they say why are you in here and he goes well i'm in here because i was talking about jesus and uh he goes well they're like well that doesn't seem too bad i mean why would you know why would you come to prison for just talking about a man you haven't done anything wrong tell us about this man jesus so he begins to tell about jesus and all 39 of them accept jesus as their lord and savior hallelujah so then Sunil has them chanting um, phrases like praise Jesus or praise God or all glory to Jesus Christ. Well, the guard is not happy about this. And so the guard that you cannot stay in here with these other men. And so he gets them out of that prison, puts them into like a, um, an isolation cage, he called it, isolation cage. So now he's in this isolation cage. They have to take him out for a little bit so they they can clean the cage. Well, the man next to him was in an isolation cage because he had tuberculosis. And the man with tuberculosis was talking to Sunil and saying, why are you in here? Sunil says, oh, I'm in here because of Jesus. And he says, tell me about this man, Jesus. He begins to talk about Jesus. Well, the Hindu that had tuberculosis, he um, was doing these mantras, these prayers over and over and over again um, to the different various gods. And he um, said, will you tell me a prayer about Jesus? And Sunil, being a Christian, says, well, prayer is just kind of like talking to him. He said, no, I want a prayer about Jesus. So Sunil's racking his brain. What am I going to tell them? Oh, I know. I'll tell him the Lord's Prayer. So he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And Sunil, four days later, gets released from this jail. But this man was in jail for another nine months. And uh, he just kept on praying the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. While in jail, he is healed of tuberculosis. But then, two, he, the Lord told him that there was a date when he was going to get out of jail and be freed. And on that date, he goes before the judge. The judge looks at his papers. The judge begins to curse out the policeman who brought him there. He says, this is completely wrong. He should not be in jail. He throws the papers off of his desk and says, release this man at once. So the man is released. Instead of the man going back to his own village, the man goes and finds Sunil in Sunil's village, comes to Sunil, falls at his feet, and just begins to worship the name of Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. And I was so encouraged by Sunil's story because it just reminded me that when you encounter Jesus, that Jesus changes everything. Sometimes in the American culture, we just kind of, like my brother Jeff says, we tack on Jesus and we remain the same. But the truth of what we've done as Christians by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior is that there's been a radical change in our lives. In this church alone, we have so many testimonies of the radical change that Jesus has done in our lives. Radical change that Jesus has done. And so I've asked the worship team to, to sing a song. Uh, it's a special song about God finishing what he started. And I've asked several of you in this church to give your testimony of what Jesus has done. And what you're going to see is you're going to see people come across this stage. And you're going to see who they were before Christ. And you're going to see who they are after Christ. That you don't just tack on Jesus and remain the same. You don't just try him on and see if he fits. No, there's a radical change that happens in the midst in the presence 
of Jesus Christ. This came to me when you guys were doing this, but um, that uh, mine was... Wow. When I was young, I was so afraid. I was so shy. Um, I remember the tryout for the tennis team. My dad literally had to kick me out of the car. I said, I don't want to do it. I don't think you are doing it. And he shoved me out of the car. And so that I was afraid and shy, and now I'm bold and empowered. Isn't that wonderful? Think of what the Lord has done in my life. What has the Lord done in your life? exciting so exciting so exciting so exciting so let's live that way right let's just there's a thing that happens within us where that's what happened but then we don't live like it we don't live like it's true but let's live like it's true let's live like Jesus really changed everything. Let's live like the Holy Spirit is actually inside us, empowering us, giving us what we need to live a godly life for Him. So um, we're going to sing one more song. But first, can we just celebrate God? I want to celebrate those people who boldly came up here and gave their sign. Celebrate the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You've changed everything. You've rescued us. You've delivered us. You've saved us. You've changed everything. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have done what you have done, that you did that one-time sacrifice, perfect sacrifice, and you sat down at the right hand of the Father. You said, it is done. It is finished. And I thank you, Lord, that you truly did something amazing in each one of us. And I thank you that even though some of us came in, there's just been a disconnect between what happened in our lives by becoming holy and blameless in you, but there's a disconnect between that truth and how we're living. And I just pray that for those that came in like that today, Lord, that that would just be gone and that would be done in the mighty name of Jesus. That they would be just emboldened once again by your spirit to live this life for you, Jesus, and to live confidently for you, Lord. I know also in this room, some of you just need a baptism of the spirit. You need to have the spirit fall fresh on you and, and to truly have that radical change that comes. And one of the things about baptism of the spirit is you're set into ministry. You're set off to go into ministry and, and you can be anointed with oil and even just anointed as his child that can walk in his anointing and, and do what he has called you to do. And if you need to receive that as well, I'd say um, come up for and we'd love to pray for you in that regard as well. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that it's all about you and what you've done. I pray that there would be testimonies this week of people walking as if they are truly changed by you. And we'd stop playing the game of, well, I'm going to be with Jesus or I'm not going to be with Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to trust him. We would just be done with that game. And instead, we would die to ourselves and let Jesus Christ live in us. And if you agree with that, would you just say amen? Amen.